Hi and welcome to this week's podcast. On Friday the 9th of April we received an announcement from the royal family which read it is with deep sorrow that Her Majesty the Queen has announced the death of her beloved husband His Royal Highness the Prince Philip Duke of Edinburgh. His Royal Highness passed away peacefully this morning at Windsor Castle. The royal family joined with people around the world in mourning his loss. Further announcements will be made in due course. So that's the announcement that we received. This podcast is dedicated to His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. I'm Rachel and this podcast is dedicated to his life. Yeah, and this is Michelle Thole. Thank you so much for listening. It's um, protocol for uh, TV stations in the UK when a royal death is announced to stop everything and to um, announce the death. And that's something that happened here. I didn't see anything. I was busy um, editing last week's episode. And so I had a phone call out of uh, out of the blue from Rachel. And I thought you were just talking about some notes about the podcast and then what happened, Rach? So, yeah, I basically asked you if you had seen the news um, and I'd said Prince Philip had died and you was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> but, <laughs> Hang on a minute. Hang on, what's going on here? Um, obviously checked that the news was correct. Um, and then you started to have a little cry. <laughs> yeah. I read out the announcement that was released on um, the Royal Family Instagram. And then when it got to the part where it said beloved husband, that's when I started to cry because <laughs> those were the words that got me. Yeah. And then because I was editing the podcast, I then said to Rachel, we need to say something about Prince Philip. And in the end, we actually waited and we release the podcast on Saturday out of respect. But also I tried five times and every single time I broke down crying and the bit that I've got in the episode is still an edited version because it was another two or three minutes longer with me just crying. But I that was, I just put the phone down from speaking to Rachel and then I did that, that intro. So it was still fresh, it was still new and I... I feel a lot better today. I still feel raw. I still feel really upset, but I just, I think I'm coming to terms with it now. How are you feeling about it at the moment, Rach? Yeah, I think I feel the same as you, but I'm, um, I think definitely when I watched the funeral, I'll for sure cry during that. I think, especially when we see the queen for the first time, when we see the other members of the royal family as well, um, I think that's when it's going to hit me. Um, wow, this is happening. This has happened. And obviously what happens now, like what happens to the queen? How does she go on from this really? Um, so I feel like that's all eyes will be on her, won't it? On that, especially on that day. Yes. Um, and with the queen, with the the title of monarch, she does set a fantastic example she's very stoic and steadfast however this is her partner of 73 years and although it wasn't a shock that a 99 year old man has died it's still prince philip and i i personally have found in my own life the people around me 
Some people love the royals, others are quite indifferent, and others do not like them at all. So it's been quite um, heartwarming and um, really touching, actually, to have so many of you lot, the royal community, reach out to Rachel and I on Instagram and on our podcast comment section and just give us so much um love and support and we actually did our first ever instagram live this week didn't we rach yeah just really to catch up with everyone to see how everyone else was feeling with the news um because like you said like we've only been doing this last week's episode was our fifth episode yeah um and like i think you said in that we never expected to be covering a royal death did we this this early on in doing the podcast so it's been really nice just catching up with other people to see how they're feeling what they're going through how they heard the news when they heard it who were who were they with yeah so yeah it was just really nice to um be on that live and just to catch up with everyone really yeah um so just a quick shout out to the royal community thank you so much for being there for us for allowing us to share in our grief with you and for you to be so open and um, trusting with your grief with us. So it was really, um, it, it really helped um, to be on our live and to have people surrounding us that, because sometimes you feel strange for crying about somebody who you've never met before. I mean, you may have met him possibly, but personally myself, I've never met him, but he's always been there in my life. Yeah, I've never known him, but I've known of him for the whole of my life. I can't wrap my head around the fact that he's not there now. Um, And I think as soon as um, this happens, you know, a death happens, you also think about your life you think about the people you love um you think also uh, your brain straight away goes to what are we going to do when the queen dies yeah because my my brain went there I can't I can't even comprehend that at the moment like because it's one of those things isn't it you've been with someone for 70 well they've been together longer than 73 years but they've been married for that long and it and it's just one of those things where you hear of these you know, these people that have been together for years and one person dies and not so long after the other person dies after because they can't cope without being without them. Yeah. And, you know, the queen is 95 this year. So um, again, it wouldn't be a shock for a 95 year old person to pass away. Um, It's always going to be a shock to us, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say there. So what we're going to do for this episode is we're going to go through some things that we found out about Prince Philip that we absolutely love. And there may be some little bits of info that you already know, but Rachel and I have picked out things we find fascinating about Prince Philip. So hopefully you'll find it fascinating as well. So that's something we're going to be doing um, very shortly. But before I do, um, if you would love to um, join us for an Instagram live. We will be going live on Sunday this week, the day after the funeral. We're going to collect our thoughts, Rach, aren't we? Have a little bit of a breather. And then um, please feel free to join us. Um, At the moment, we're not quite sure what time we're going to do it on Sunday, but um, just follow us on our Instagram stories and you'll be able to find out the exact time. Um, And then you, you can come on over and share um with your experiences 
of the funeral and Prince Philip's life there as well. Shall we do a few um, comments from the royal community and then we'll move on to the the tribute? Yeah, yeah. So I had a comment on our podcast comment section and I had, we had a lovely five-star review as well from Lee. So thank you so much for that. It really helps out the the podcast and Lee also left us a wonderful message I love your podcast you two are lovely that's really nice isn't it ah thank you Lee really appreciated um we also had a comment on our from our Instagram live from the Philly Beth archive hope I'm pronouncing that correctly um you guys worded my thoughts perfectly so obviously we were talking about what had happened like our experiences of when we found out when Prince Philip passed away and we were just basically talking like we do now aren't we didn't we Michelle um and we've never done a live before which is quite interesting and what's also just really sad is that it's a funeral we're talking about we're talking about Prince Philip passing away and it's just I, I still have that pit of the stomach sadness right now. Um, but I'm also just 99 years of an amazing life, an amazing man and such a support to Her Majesty. What a guy. What a guy. What's in the words of um, Prince William, a legend. <laughs> legend. <laughs> legend. <laughs> Talking to Matt Smith, the actor who plays Prince Philip in the se- season one and two of The Crown. Any advice you can give me? One word, legend. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, but I was wanting some like directorial. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, that's not what I was looking for, Prince William. Uh, all right, so let's let's get into it. So, Rach, you're going to start us off with Prince Philip's childhood. Yeah. So these are just a few of the things that I was looking into. Um, so he was born on the 10th of June in 1921. It's just weird saying 1921, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Talking about someone that's just passed away. Yeah. Like how much that person has seen and been through throughout their life. That's just incredible in itself. Mm. Um, so he is a prince of Greece and Denmark, and he was born in Corfu to Prince Andrew of Greece and Denmark and Princess Alice of Battenberg. And Princess Alice was actually a great granddaughter of Queen Victoria, and she was born at Windsor Castle and Queen Victoria was actually um, there at her birth, which wow. is amazing in itself. That's fantastic. Right? Yeah. So that's and again, um, to me, Queen Victoria feels like about 500 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, uh, that's amazing in itself, really, isn't it? I think when you, when you think about our queen, Queen Elizabeth II, um, her and Prince Philip are actually third cousins. They are kind of related. I mean, when you look at all the European families, um, sorry, all the European royal families, they are all interrelated and it comes from Victoria and Albert. Yeah. They've got a lot um, to answer for. Them. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he was 18 months old, his family was forced um, to go into exile after, after a military coup. Wow. Yeah, because um, the king had to abdicate at that point, right? Yeah, that's correct. Mm. And um, when he was coming over on the boat, he was actually stored in an orange crate. Oh! 
So little 18-month-old Prince Philip and a little orange crate coming over. <laughs> Do you think there was oranges in the crates? <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm literally visualising it right now. Do you think that he was protected by the oranges? Do you think there's like a little bed of oranges and he was like a Seville orange with one on top of it? <laughs> Maybe, possibly not, but... <laughs> oh. Um, in 1931, his mother suffered a nervous breakdown um, and was confined to a sanatorium in Switzerland. Now, again, this is kind of depicted on the crown mm. um, that we find out about his mother. Um, but yeah, this is really interesting because this is where, you know, Prince Philip's life as a child, it was quite interrupted and quite jarred in the sense that he was moved from pillar to post because you know, he was exiled from his own country. And then his mother was in an an asylum, basically. And his father um, went to live in the south of France with his mistress. So he was kind of like in no man's land as such, as a child. My heart goes out to his mother. Like that must have been so, so hard. And some of the things they did to her is actually like horrendous. Yes. Cruel. it's just so cruel what happened to her well like, yeah. when you hear about her life or read about her life just insane like mm. you, you just couldn't get away with that these days i'm glad i'm glad they couldn't get away with it these days let's put it that way yeah exactly so he went to school in england and briefly was educated in germany before going to gordonston yeah and i think from gordonston is where i can pick up with the military aspect of prince philip's life in the run-up to the start of second world war philip finished at gordonston and began his naval career at the britannia royal naval college in dartmouth where he won two prizes for being the best cadet now that does not surprise me at all no i think he was very studious and down like if he was doing something, he was doing something 100% to the best of his ability. Is that a characteristic or a trait that you would see in him as well, Rach? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, when, obviously, we'll go into this later in the in the podcast, but when he set up the Duke of Edinburgh's award, you can tell that it's that part of him that it comes from. Like that, mm. you know, it's very, you know, get on with it, very... Um, be outside, be, you know, be the best that you can be, basically. Yeah, and I don't think you can fake that trait. So it's definitely something that has stood the test of time throughout his character. So Philip joined the battleship HMS Ramillies in Colombo as a midshipman and spent six months in the Indian Ocean. Can you imagine spending six months in the Indian Ocean? Wow. January 1941, he served on HMS Valiant in Alexandria. And two months later, he was mentioned in dispatches for his actions during the Battle of Cape Matapan. And what he did was he spotted an unexpected enemy vessel with searchlights. So because of this, he was later awarded with the Greek War Cross of Valor. Wow. So that's one of his medals. He actually served in World War II. He actually was there. He served. He was on the ships that were in combat in the war. He's not just a person who, oh, yes, waving the ships off. He he was in it. He was there. Um, there was a point where he was in Tokyo Bay and the Japanese had surrendered for the war. Um, just absolutely just in, in the thick of the action. Um, 
just brilliant. What I love about Prince Philip's naval career is he rose through the ranks and he actually became one of the youngest officers in the Royal Navy to be ever made first lieutenant and second in command of a ship. So that's like amazing. <laughs> Unfortunately, he did have to step step back from his naval career when the king died and the queen took the throne for him to take his rightful place and to be a, a consort to the queen. He put the duty above his career, but what a wonderful career he had. And I think up until this point, he's always been an advocate for veterans, for the military. Um, and up until 2017, um, he actually did his final solo royal engagement and it was with the Royal Marines. So that tells you everything, doesn't it? Okay, so let's talk about Prince Philip's medals and titles. Do you know what, Rach? When I was researching this for the podcast, it took me at least half an hour to count all of his titles and then double check it to make sure that I counted them correctly. He has loads i'm gonna say out loud his full style so this is how if he wrote all of his um if he had to write his name and all of his titles on a piece of paper this is what it would be and if i mispronounce something i apologize in advance are we ready i need to take a deep breath in his royal highness the prince philip duke of edinburgh earl of merioneth baron greenwich Royal Knight of the Most Noble Order of the Garter, Extra Knight of the Most Ancient and Most Noble Order of the Thistle, Member of the Order of Merit, Knight Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order, Grand Master and First and Principal Knight, Grand Cross of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, Knight of the Order of Australia, Additional Member of the Order of New Zealand, Extra Companion of the Queen's Service Order, Royal Chief of the Order of Lagua, Extraordinary Companion of the Order of Canada, Extraordinary Commander of the Order of Military Merit, Lord of Her Majesty's Most Honourable Privy Council, Privy Councillor of the Queen's Privy Council for Canada, Personal Aide-de-Camp to Her Majesty, Lord High Admiral of the United Kingdom. Now that is a title. Wow. And I think we we were discussing earlier um, before we came onto the podcast about how long the funeral is going to be. Now, if the things like that are getting read out, <laughs> the funeral is going to be like two hours long. They were like, sit down, choir boys. Yeah. We do not have time for you. <laughs> Here's a hymn. No, we're just carrying on with the titles. Yeah. So what I wanted to do is to save you guys having a look. I did it on your behalf. He has eight naval ranks and appointments, uh, uh, starting from midshipman to Lord High Admiral of the UK. Uh, so the, he's the highest you can, you can get um, in the Navy in the UK. And that was bestowed upon him uh, for his 90th birthday by the Queen, which I think is a wonderful gift. That's, that's the gift that posh people give to people, isn't it? <laughs> when you don't know what to give someone, just give them a title. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no Ferrero Rochers for them. <laughs> and then uh, Commonwealth Honours. So he's got 16 Commonwealth Realms, 16 decorations and medals, other Commonwealth countries. So he's got four Commonwealth country appointments and two decorations, 
foreign honors so including the foreign honors you have 50 foreign orders and five decorations you can obviously know why i'm not saying every single one of them now honorary <laughs> military positions he has 164 i hope i counted that correctly 164 honorary military positions in different militaries and throughout the whole world he then has 13 chancellor visitor governor and fellowships of universities and my favorite are you ready for this he's got 19 honorary degrees wow from universities in the world and they range from law science engineering and marine science anywhere from university of delhi to adelaide and california like can you believe it just incredible that's insane just incredible life yeah and I think that's what we were saying on the live, wasn't it? Was the fact that if he had the choice, if the queen hadn't become queen when she did, he was already um, in Malta, wasn't he, as part of the Navy? Yeah. That he would have had a very high-ranking naval career. Um, and a, that wasn't, that's a lot of people that have said that. Um, he just had that in him. He would have just taken it as far as he could go. But obviously when the queen became queen, he considered it his duty then to support her in her role. And also um, George VI, his health was deteriorating. And so the queen had to take on more duties. And that then I think he realized, okay, this is, this is the start of it. And they were not prepared so early. You would never think of, of the king dying at that time. He's very young, really, in his 50s, wasn't he? So yeah, 50s. Yeah, so in their mind they still have plenty of time. He has plenty of time to move up the ranks in the um in the navy and for the queen to be a mother and to you know do royal duties but not at the at the level that they needed to have done and then obviously to then become the new monarchs. It must have been such a shock for them um and an adjustment absolutely a massive adjustment. Okay, so we've spoken about childhood and military, but I think the one thing that we all want to talk about is the love story. So let's talk about the royal love story. Who doesn't love a love story? And their love story, it's just perfect, isn't it? Yeah, so he met Princess Elizabeth in 1934 at a royal family wedding. And they met again five years later in 1939 when she was 13 and he was 18 at the um, Royal Navy College where he was a cadet. So they had previously met each other. I think it's widely reported that she was 13, but they had actually briefly met before that. Um, and they got engaged in 1946 and married in 1947 at Westminster Abbey. Now, can I just say something about this? I'm loving this. Do you know why? Because they got engaged and then four months later, they got married. I'm not a massive fan of these people who have like three-year engagements. Just get <laughs> married. Like yeah. I salute them from the highest of my um, my royal pedestals and to say, well done on uh, not dragging it out. <laughs> Don't drag it out. Just get married. And the thing that I love about this is the fact that especially when you look back at royal marriages between, you know, a prince or a princess, 
that is one day going to be king or queen is that usually it's an arranged marriage. And um, we know, for example, Diana and Charles, they were kind of like the last arranged marriage of the royal family. Um, but this was a true love match in the sense that, you know, she could have had her pick of the pick of the bunch, couldn't she? Really? She could have picked anyone. And she dug her heels in and said, no, this is the man that I want to marry. Like she stuck up for her man. Like she wanted yeah. her man and she got him. <laughs> I feel like a country song coming along. Yeah. Stand by my man. <laughs> Although I think that was um, more cheating, wasn't it? Give him two arms to face you. Anyway, go <laughs> And what's great about when they got married was obviously it wasn't that long after the war. So it was a cause for a big celebration without the, within the UK because it was something to look forward to. It was a joyous occasion. You know, there'd been so much heartache and so many people had died during World War II that it was like a new era, wasn't it? Yeah. And in a way, it kind of reminds me of Will and Kate because at the time we had the credit crunch, we had the big massive global um, financial crash and then something to look forward to, which which was Will and Kate's wedding, really boosted our spirits. And I think... Um, it must have been wonderful. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially since he's passed away, we've had all the old videos that have been played on the TV. And I just love the scene when they're standing on uh, the balcony at Buckingham Palace, where you've got the shot of um, and then Princess Elizabeth and um, the Duke of Edinburgh. And then you've got the king and the queen mother, Princess Margaret. And I just love how they do the royal wave. (laughs) But they all look just so glamorous as well, don't they? I loved that about this period in time is, you know, not a lot of people had the money, but everyone still looks so glamorous. Yeah, it it doesn't take money to have style, does it? No, exactly. What I've been really enjoying is all the coverage on television showing the coronation of the Queen and obviously Prince Philip there taking the oath. And it being in colour rather than black and white. And you can really see the sparkling of the diamonds, the true colour of what they wore. And like you just said about being on the balcony and how it must have looked just amazing. Yeah, just incredible. And um, yeah, I think that that was really poignant because he he was the one that orchestrated for television cameras to be inside the abbey when she got coronated um, because nothing like that had been done before and it was being broadcast around the world and that was thanks to him you know he was a visionary at that time you know people people wanted to see inside and it's thanks to him now that we have when we have services inside churches um you know when they get married and things like that we're allowed inside and that's great because we feel more connected to them then don't we yes and I think sometimes well actually if I hadn't seen the footage of the coronation I probably wouldn't have such a deeper deep respect as I do for the queen and for the royal family and their duty so I think it was very important for that to be televised And like you said, him being a visionary speaks about his character. Yeah, definitely. So there was a bit of a discrepancy, though, about what he should be called once he was married to the Queen. And there was even talk in 
um, political um, spheres in the Commonwealth about what to call Philip, um, whether to call him Prince of the Commonwealth, Prince of the Realm, Prince of the UK, just the prince. There were so many different um, different suggestions. And the queen actually didn't make a decision until 1957. And that was only when a new prime minister came into force because Winston Churchill wasn't happy at all with giving him a title as such. But what was interesting was there was a uh, a quote from Prince Philip saying, I'm the only man in the country that is not allowed to give his name to his children. And I, I think about that as him as a family man and how hard that must have been, especially at that time, because that is the time where the woman's in the kitchen, the kids, you know, anything to do with the kids, yeah. the woman has to sort that out. The man goes out to work, he comes back home and everything's done for him. He's the man of the house. And here he is having to take a step back because his his wife is more senior than him. And also then he's not allowed to give his family name to the children. So it must have been really difficult at that time to adjust to his role, but also to try and adjust to who he was privately versus publicly. But what I found in, in all my research and digging into his um, private you know, family life, which is hard because they're very private people, was just that he was very energetic and um, really hands-on with the children, playing with them, allowing them to be um, open-minded and adventurous. And I think out of all of the children, Anne probably has um, Prince Philip's no-nonsense approach. Um, and I think she's very similar to him te in his temperament. Um, and as the crown has um, alluded mm. to, and it's been said that Charles has a sensitive nature and that's something that Prince Philip doesn't have. And he's very tough and competitive and um, he likes being challenged. And, you know, there's this feeling of um, being very blunt with his words and how his actions are. And I think Charles was very different to his father and maybe we don't know. I mean, only the cr the crown is alluding to it and we can probably put two and two together, but I'm guessing it was quite difficult for Prince Philip to father a sensitive child at the time when he's from the Navy and he's from the keep calm, carry on generation. He's from the generation that just won a war. You know, that's, that's a very different uh, mentality to then have a sensitive child. So it must have been quite difficult for Charles to fit in. When you hear the tributes from the children, um, they talk about him being the, the patriarch of the family. And that's where he found his strength. He was able to be the, what did um, Harry say? He said he was the... Um, the the king of the barbecue yeah, or something king of and, the barbecue something <laughs> a legend legend, legend of banter, banter. Yeah. <laughs> and that tells you everything doesn't it i mean yeah. it's quite fitting that all of the tributes say the same thing about him mm. there is a common thread that he was really supportive a fantastic listener he loved carriage riding he was very wanting everyone to get into um into 
being in the country and there was an interview he said where I think he was having a little joke and he was like if I wasn't in the navy I'd be a farmer and then there's obviously he's got all his books that he wrote and we said this in the Instagram live we were like we didn't know he'd he'd um, written 14 books what are the books on Rach? Well, it's a mixture, really. Um, so I've just picked out three books that I that I found interesting. So I know you've touched upon his love of carriage driving. He actually mm-hmm. wrote a book in 1982 called Competition Carriage Driving. Not something that I would personally read, but, you know. How many pages is it? Like, because I only probably would know one page. Like, <laughs> there's a horse and there's a carriage and you get on it and you hold the reins and, yeah, let's go. <laughs> what else do you need to know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> apparently a whole book's worth (laughs) there we go um he's also written a book called men machines and sacred cows okay that's an Uh, interesting one maybe that's where the farmer thing comes in for him (laughs) i know that he was um, looking after the the um the estates on sandra in sandrinum and where was the other one windsor Windsor. Windsor, yes and i know they they have cows and that type of thing on the estate so i mean that makes sense Yeah. And another one was um, the environmental revolution. So again, we spoke about this in the live that I didn't realize he was a keen environmentalist. Um, I just thought that was from Charles, you know, Um, because I I knew that Prince Charles was being an advocate of, you know, climate change and what's what's going on in the world. And back in the 70s, when Prince Philip was talking about it, it wasn't really spoken about. Um, so for him to have written a book in 1979 about these issues, just again goes to show how much of a visionary yeah. that this man was. And I just spoke about maybe the difference between Charles and Prince Philip. And what's quite interesting is maybe that was their common ground. That's something they had as a common ground yes. because it's, yeah. it it does speak to um, innovation and looking forward and making sure there's a planet here for us all. Um, and now we've got Prince William with climate yeah. change. So you can just see how that is. A continuation, isn't it? Absolutely. I wanted to read out a few of my favourite gaffes as they've been known. Yeah. And I, I read that they're also called quips. Oh, quips. Quips and gaffes. Oh, quips and gaffes. Yeah. Yeah, quips and gaffes. So, so there we are. So basically, for anyone who doesn't know what a quip and a gaff is, basically really rude things or um, weird things or uh, like really close to the nerve yeah. kind of Things sentences. that you shouldn't really be he saying said. out loud, but Prince Philip did and he didn't care what he said. <laughs> he was probably told off a bit after, but he didn't. He really didn't care. Yeah. So here we go. These are just a few of my favourites. <laughs> You look like you're ready for bed. Now, who do you think, what do you think this is about? Um, you look like you're ready for bed. Please don't say he was in red light district. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was speaking to the president of Nigeria who was in national dress. Oh, oh no. Oh, that is right? cringeworthy. <laughs> <laughs> Another one that made me laugh. I declare this thing open, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was in Canada in 1963. There was um, there was a a, a foot a piece of footage I saw on TV yesterday, and he was at an engagement, and he was like, "I'm opening this up. Um, what is that over there? Is it a bucket?" <laughs> <laughs> like, 
the thing is over the years they've obviously done so many of these like openings and they're just like I've done what is this again <laughs> he did 22,000 engagements and wow. he gave over 5,000 speeches isn't that just amazing I get nervous speaking to some of my friends sometimes <laughs> 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 I hope, I hope you don't mean me. <laughs> and I think I've saved one of the best till last. Come on, let's hear it. And you'll probably and you'll all probably know who he's talking about here. If it doesn't fart or eat hay, she's not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Who's he talking about? Um, he's talking about the Queen about horses. No, Princess Anne. You're joking. <laughs> Princess Anne. If it doesn't fart or eat hay, she's not interested. <laughs> Was he trying to be like a um, blind date getting there together? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> well, yeah. So it, they was there was a um, photo call, and basically he's known for wanting to have a photo taken really quickly so he can get out of the situation. And the photographer was taking his time. And um, he shouted at the photographer, just take the effing picture. <laughs> he obviously said the effing properly, yes. but I'm not going to say yeah, that on the podcast. Because you're a lady. Because you're a lady. <laughs> I'm a lady. <laughs> lady Rachel of Milton Keynes. <laughs> of Bletchley. <laughs> Bletchley. Um, yeah. And actually that's, that no nonsense approach that get the effing picture done, you know, get that sorted. There was a few um, amazing stories I heard um, whilst people were bringing in the tributes on television. One where when he joined the Royal family, he couldn't reach anyone by telephone. He had to go through their secretary or their office or whatever. Um, and so he made it his job that he had a, a phone in his, in his office and he made the calls because he was like, it's ridiculous. All this bureaucracy, just let me just pick the phone up and talk to yeah. such and such. So that was a, like a big thing at the time because there was a way to do things. He was like, nope, I'm not doing it that way. And another one, and this is my favorite one, actually. When um, the Queen and Prince Philip were ever on a, on a ship, I think this um, may potentially have been uh, Britannia in, in particular. Went way back when Queen Victoria had a toothache and she asked one of the, the attendants to get her some whiskey to take away uh, so she could get a bit drunk so she didn't have to think about the pain. <laughs> but that request never got rescinded. So every time they're on a ship, they get, get brought whiskey um, every night. And he's like, why this is ridiculous <laughs> why do you keep bringing her bottles of whiskey it's something that was done ages ago just stop giving her whiskey and i just thought yeah stop bringing her whiskey <laughs> so sometimes traditions that are just traditions for no apparent reason prince philip's very steadfast and like hang on a second like let's be rational about this she doesn't need a glass of whiskey just because mm. queen victoria has never said don't bring me a glass of whiskey in the evening so um again who knows whether that is a 
a myth or a legend of Queen Victoria, but that was something that I found very interesting and tells you a lot about Prince Philip. Oh, um, so I know you briefly touched on earlier that he did over 22,000 engagements, which is absolutely incredible. I want to talk about some of um, the patronages that he's been a part of. Yeah, definitely. And over the years, he is either a president or a patron or a member of over 992 organisations. Wow. And that's throughout the UK and the Commonwealth. I mean, that's insane, right? A lot lot Um, of people though say, Rach, what do the royals do? Um, 992 patronages. Even if he wants to have a conversation with everyone, he wouldn't have been able to get through... What's that? He'd have to talk to three of them in a day to get through every single one mm-hmm. in a year. Wow. Yeah. And if you want to find out more about any of these patronages, you can go onto the Royal Family website and every, it will basically, it gives a list of every single member of the Royal Family and each of the patronages that they're a part of. Um, so obviously I just had a look at Prince Phillips and I've just picked out a few, which I, one probably... Might, might have never even heard of before um some that i have but these ones that really interested me we talked about this briefly on a live the wws yes yeah he was the first president of that organization in 1961 until 1981 when he became the international president yes love it love it and this is and in 19 19- the wwf with the panda not the WWE that was formerly known as the WWF. Just thought I'd let you know all that. <laughs> um, and in 1970, the WWF established the Duke of Edinburgh Conservation Award. Wow. Brilliant. What a great organization to be part of. Again, going back to that environmentalist that I didn't know about. Yeah. I'd never really seen or heard about that side of him before. Another one that I found interesting that I've never heard of before is the Bookade International. He's been a patron since 1966, and this organisation provides books so that people can change their own lives through reading. Oh, that's brilliant. So that I thought that was a really interesting one. Um, another one that ties into his naval career is um, the National Maritime Museum. Um, so this is um, an organisation of collections of items associated with seafaring, navigation, astronomy and measuring time. So, again, that harks back to his naval career. Um, but when you go through the list, there are quite a lot of Navy, Navy um, organisations that he's patron of or a member of. Um, another one I thought was a nice one was the New Zealand Society. And they promote social and cultural um, well-being between the UK and New Zealand, because obviously part of the Commonwealth. Um, And the Windsor Park Equestrian Club, where he was a president and a member, because we know Windsor was probably their most favourite place to be. They used to go there at the weekends, didn't they, as a couple, him and the Queen. Um, And again, when you look, there's loads of organisations in Windsor that he was a part of. When we went to Windsor Castle, what was very um, apparent is how different Windsor Castle feels to Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace feels very royal and pompous, but 
in a royal way. Um, and Windsor Castle feels really relaxed, very military, lots of um, coats of arms, um, lots of swords and shields and that type of thing. But it also felt homely and it felt like a home. So it's quite interesting. You said that lots of it is in Windsor and it makes sense, actually. So we're going to move to one of his biggest legacies, right? And that's the Duke of Edinburgh Awards. So, yeah, so the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, um, this is an award scheme that was founded in 1956, which recognises young adults completing a series of self-improvement exercises. This can be from anything from volunteering, physical work, skills and expedition. And each um, to achieve an award, the participant must work on each section for a minimum period of time and be nominated and assessed by someone with knowledge of that activity. So you can get like a bronze, silver and gold. Um, bronze, the bronze award, you have to work between three and six months to achieve this award. The silver, six and nine yes. months. Um, and guess who's done a Duke of Edinburgh award, Rachel? You? No. <laughs> I wish. I would <laughs> love to have done one. Catherine, Kate Middleton's done a Duke of Edinburgh Award. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it was on the Kensington Palace um, Instagram yesterday. Oh, In wow. 2016, Kate announced that she got a gold Duke of Edinburgh Award, uh, which is, oh, wow. I know, it was fanc- fascinating. It didn't actually say which one she got, but she did say that she really uh, found Yay. it very rewarding <laughs> and that she'd built lots of confidence through doing the scheme. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah, we know that over eight, 8 million people worldwide have taken part in the award scheme. Um, and I think everyone that I've seen recently over the last week has just said, like, what an impact it's had on their lives. We know Philip, Prince Philip was a man that really didn't like to talk about himself and his achievements. But that must have been something that he was quite proud of, that so many people had gotten so much out of this award scheme that he set up, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And it's such a legacy. And I think the Duke of Edinburgh title will be passing on to Edward. Um, Not yet. I think it's... um, When Charles becomes king. king. That's right. And then he gets the Duke of Edinburgh title. Let's talk a little bit about how he supported the Queen and how amazing... Um, and like I say, just, I I feel like he's been her lighthouse throughout all of it, telling her where the rocks are, you know, don't go this way. You know, he's (laughs) always been that beacon of light that she could rely on. And, Mm. um, I don't know what, obviously now we're a couple of days in, but who knows what that's going to look like for the queen moving forward. We did have some statements from Prince William and from the other members of the family saying that they will be supporting the Queen a lot more with the engagements moving forward. I absolutely loved Prince William's statement, his tribute to, to oh, Prince It was Philip. so lovely, wasn't it? And I loved that it was, um, I loved, for one, I loved the photo. I loved that it was a little two-year-old Prince George with his grandpa in, it just sounds so posh, but in his grandpa's carriage. <laughs> it's very posh, very posh. Um, but I think that was obviously, that picture was taken by um, Kate. You know, it's one of those things where it just goes to show 
they they were at the end of the day they were just a family like obviously we kind of look at them as this whole bit you know because they are the royal family but when you take that away they are a family I just really hope that the feud, I say feud, but the feud between William and Harry and Prince Charles at the moment won't overshadow the celebration and the the funeral of Prince Philip on Saturday. The funeral is going to be in St. George's Chapel and um, he's going to have his naval cap and his sword on the coffin and it's going to be only 30 people going because of coronavirus and that's the restrictions at the moment in the UK we know that Boris Johnson has stepped back so he did have um a a position a a place at the funeral but he stepped back to allow another family member to join which I thought was very um gracious of him to do that what else do we know um we know that he's going to be interred in the royal vault at St George's Chapel at Windsor um and then God forbid we know it's going to happen, but when the Queen passes away, that they will probably be buried together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so very, um, very tough um, time at the moment, isn't it? It is. I, I keep thinking about the love story of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. And mm-hmm. he died very, I mean, they did have loads and loads of children, but he still died quite early on, didn't he? How old was Prince Albert? He was in his 40s when he passed away. Yeah. And now I think they've surpassed that love story. That's how I feel anyway. Mm. They've surpassed the love story of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, which I felt for the longest time, it was untouchable. Like that, yeah. you know, the fact that she was in mourning for the rest of her life. It was like so sad. You could tell she was so in love with him. But that's exactly the queen as well. She's, mm. She still looked at him with loving eyes and with respect and admiration. And him with her as well. And I would also love to say that although the pandemic has been absolutely gruesome and awful to live through, I believe that the Queen and Prince Philip has never spent so much time together in this last year. And for that, in a way, lockdown has been... um, It was a blessing for them, really, wasn't it? It it was a blessing. I don't think they've ever spent so much private time together without having interruptions of engagement. Apparently, he died in his chair with the sun in his face and with the the queen by his side. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. And we had Sophie, didn't we? Sophie was saying that um, it was very, it was like someone had held out their hand and and she said it was very gentle. It was a gentle way for him to go. Um, So that, that was nice to hear. I think, yeah, the... The love story between Prince Philip and the Queen, like you said, it's kind of like one for the ages, isn't it? That's how I feel anyway when I look at them. And when you when you hear, especially from the family members, past interviews, a lot of them have said he, she would have not been able to do her job without him. He was kind of like really the only person that could turn around to say to her and tell her the truth, basically. And I, th- and I think that's what she, one of the reasons, what she loved about him was that he was no nonsense, said what he thought. She must have a lot of yes people around her. 
And he basically told her how it was. And I think that's probably one of the things that she respected and she enjoyed about him as well. Um, so I I really wanted to read out a quote. And, you know, if you're, um, you know, if you like the royal family as much as we do, you've probably heard this quote. But I think this says a lot about their relationship. Um, this was the Queen speaking about Prince Philip. He has quite simply been my strength and stay all these years. And I and his whole family and this and many other countries owe him a debt greater than he would ever claim or we shall ever know. Beautiful. I absolutely love those words. Yeah. And I would love to read out a letter that was written to Princess Elizabeth at the time, circa 1946. And young Prince Philip wrote, To have been spared in the war and seen victory, to have been given the chance to rest and to readjust myself, to have fallen in love completely and unreservedly, makes all one's personal and even world's troubles seem small and petty. Just puts a smile on your face. I mean, nobody, nobody speaks like that anymore. Do they? <laughs> and the fact that we know what we know of Prince Philip is like we've said before, like quite an alpha male mm. for him to speak words like that about, you know, he's um, his future wife. Oh, it's just, just so lovely, isn't it? Really, really warms the heart. I mean, I'm sure they had their fights. I'm sure they had oh, their crossed words. Most definitely. <laughs> How can you be together, married to someone for 73 years and not? I know what, I know the secrets of their marriage. Separate bedrooms. They slept in separate <laughs> bedrooms. Yeah, they yeah. want they want any snoring. <laughs> He's had such an extraordinary life. He was such an extraordinary man. He said some weird things at times, <laughs> some really damn right rude things at times. I hate to give him leeway because that was him and that in a way he's from a different generation, but he was from a different generation. And something that I share with William yeah. um, is my nan and his grandfather. Uh, my nan was born in 1926. His was born in 1921. And what I, what I really took to heart with Prince William's tribute to him is actually saying about him being of that generation. So Prince William said, my grandfather was an extraordinary man and part of an extraordinary generation. And Catherine and I will continue to do what he would have wanted and will support the Queen in the years ahead. I will miss you, Grandpa, but I know he would want us to get on with the job. Having a grandparent from that generation, that that is their attitude. It's the keep calm, mm. carry on. It's the don't complain, stick to the job, get through it. You've got you know, you've got to do this. Yeah. What makes it interesting for me is my nan had my mum when she was quite, was a lot older. And so my friend's m nans are way younger than my nan was. And it's, it was wonderful to have somebody who served in World War II and you could ask them questions about it. Mm. And they, they would give you their honest answers and like give you the recollections of it. And it's just things that you read in a history book, but you actually have the living person there. Yeah. And I never, ever forgot that generation because I was so close to my nan as he was with his grandpa. You never forget the work ethic 
and the mindset that comes with that generation. You know, it's, it's about learning from that generation and never forgetting, ever forgetting the sacrifice that they did and their generation um, put in order for us to be where we are. Mm. What I loved about the tribute was the fact that William said, it's fine. It felt like, do you know the, the, um, the Olympic torch where they just pass it on to somebody else and yeah. then they pass it on to somebody else. And they've, it felt like that, like, don't worry, we've got this. We've got this. Um, because I think a lot of people, especially um, our generation, Rach, people maybe in their 20s, 30s, 40s at the moment, um, we're wondering what our lives are going to look like in 40 years time and who's the monarch going to be at that point. And yes, okay, we're probably going to know who it is, but also are they going to be as prevalent? Are they going to be as um, revered? Are they going to be as important as they are today because of who is at the the head and that's the queen? So the day after Prince Philip passed away, we had a statement from Prince Charles, didn't we, outside his house in Highgrove. And it it was a lovely um, sentimental speech really just about his dear papa my dear papa is a very special man um and I think one we said about this in the live like how how did he do that the day after he's passed away we'll never know um the day after that we had a statement from princess Anne that said he was my teacher my supporter and my critic and she goes on to talk about how invaluable his lessons were on her life and how she'll carry those on for her own. Um, and then we had Princes Andrew and Edward at a church service in Windsor, along with Sophie and Lady Louise. And they were talking to some people and they were basically saying the same sort of thing that we've all thought about. You know, it was his sense of duty I think Prince Andrew said something along the lines of he'll leave a massive void in the Queen's life. And Prince Edward said they've had all the lovely comments from people from around the world have just been absolutely amazing. And it's actually really helping them as a family to hear those things. Um, so that was nice to see them out and about. And then obviously we had the statement from Prince William and then we had another one from Prince Harry as well, didn't we? Yeah. And I, I'm hoping, well, I think in the days to come, we're probably going to hear from Princess Beatrice and Eugenie, Zara and Peter. I think the star of the show has been Sophie. Oh. She's really come through, hasn't she? Um, with humanity, with grace and dignity, and has shown us a, a kind of insight into the royals mm. um, without giving too much away. But also, honestly, she's just hit the sweet spot. I think she's done such a great job. I think what we've seen of Sophie over the last few days goes to prove, because Sophie and Edward and their family, they live in Windsor, so they don't live far from um, Windsor Castle. Obviously, that's where the Queen and Prince Philip um, spend their weekends when coronavirus obviously isn't a thing. I think they're probably quite close seeing Sophie especially when we saw her the other day and you know you could tell she had been teary-eyed just goes to show the closeness probably between her and the you know the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh um and that's been so nice to see yeah she said the Queen's been amazing and I know you were really tearful at that point 
Yeah. And like you said, it's just, you know, it's inside information, isn't it? Which we wouldn't necessarily really get from the royals. So that just about wraps up our Prince Philip tribute. Of course, we're going to miss out loads and loads and loads because how can you have an episode that that jam packs in 99 years of somebody's life? We'd love to extend our sympathies to you all who are listening right now and who are upset by the news of Prince Philip passing away. It's really touched Rachel and I, and I'm sure it's touched you as well. And I, I'm still upset. There's still moments where I, I remember, oh yeah, that's happening. This is happening. The funerals on Saturday, it it feels a bit dreamlike, Mm. but, um, and I've tried to keep away from social media as much as possible because you do have the naysayers on there. You do have the people who are complaining that the BBC are using all their airtime to, you know. But let's put it this way. Prince Philip, life well lived, an amazing consort to our Queen. Actually, the longest consort in British monarchy. How amazing is that? Yeah. And I think the thing to remember, I think, from him is the sense of duty, the sense of service to a majesty, the country, the Commonwealth. And, you know, like we've said before, I think the reason that we're upset is now we're actually realising what he actually did for the Queen and what he's done for the country and the Commonwealth. And it's just a legacy, I think, that will live on. And hopefully this is something that can be passed on, you know, to Charles, later to William, when they become king. Um, So a life well lived, had its ups and downs, but that's like any life, isn't it? That is life. Yes, he was rich. Yes, he had anything he wanted, but he also had an amazing family. He was also dedicated to his wife and showed the most amazing example of what you can do if you're in a privileged position because he could have literally just sat down and did nothing. But look at all of his achievements. Mm. I hope that when he passed away, he was proud of himself because I'm proud of him. I'm just really humbled by yeah. his achievements. Ju- just the duty and the um, the absolute dedication that Prince Philip has shown towards the Queen. What a man. Yeah. So, yeah. So we thank you, sir, for all that you've done. And next week's episode, we'll, we will be covering the funeral. And with that, join us next week. Here on Keeping, Keeping Up, up with, with the Windsors. Windsors.